children in kindergarten through second grade are welcome to Primary Church. If you don't have a Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20, or if you do have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, you can find the text in your order of worship. We're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. I'm going to read verses 12 through 21 to start us off. So I say to you, hear the word of God. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would come and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray where our hearts are hard, you would soften them. I pray where you find uh, dishonesty, you would replace it with honesty. Where you find untruth, you would replace it with truth. I pray, Father, that you would uh, show us your tender mercy, this even now, through your Holy Spirit. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking, in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You can probably hear from last week I was sick. I have a little bit of that hanging on, so I'll do what I can. We're looking at the book of Exodus. Specifically, we're looking at the Ten Commandments. We're on commandment number nine. And so if you remember, just by way of brief background, the purpose of the Ten Commandments was to, to basically like a quick start guide for Israel as they entered into the Promised Land. God had delivered them from Egypt with the purpose that they would be witnesses of his character, of his gospel, really, to the nations that surrounded them. And he said, here's what that looks like. And he gave them the Ten Commandments. If you remember, there are basically two parts to the Ten Commandments. The first part is Commandments 1 through 4. It's called the first table of the law. And that's our duty toward God, right? You shall have no other gods before me and what follows. And then Commandments 5 through 10 are known as the second table of the law. And they're our duty toward our neighbor. And not only are they duty toward our neighbor. Remember Jesus summarized the law when someone asked him, can you summarize it? He said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and... Love your neighbor as yourself. So all the commands in the second table of the law are to teach us how to love our neighbor, but in the, there's also a sense in which they are the, the lubrication, if you will, for community. In, in other words, the violations of the second table of the law kill community. They harm community, right? So if, think about it. You're, you're trying to live in covenant community with people. Do you think murder would put a damper on that? Yeah, absolutely. Or adultery. Yeah, absolutely. Stealing your neighbor's stuff would harm the, the way the community goes together, but probably worse than anything would be false witness or not telling the truth. That there's a sense in which um, this commandment revolves around true communication. That without true communication, and you can't trust the people you're, you're talking to, you can't function as a, as a nation, as a society, as a community, anything. So this morning, <clears throat> I want to start with a question. And the question is this, what is the biggest lie that someone has ever told about you? Think about that for a second. 
the biggest lie that someone has ever told about you, and it's written on, it's one of the questions in the study guide, by the way, so if you want to look at it later, you can. The biggest lie someone has told about you, and how did that make you feel? Right? Was it so big and so ludicrous you laughed at it? Or was it so big and horrible that you, it made you ashamed almost, even though it was a lie? You know, I was trying to think through the, the biggest lies ever told about me. <laughs> I had trouble sorting through, I had a Rolodex, you know. Um, but one of the funny, it was sort of funny, happened about 11 years ago here in this church, is um, Dan Doriani is a professor at Covenant Seminary, and I'd worked with him over the years, and I hadn't seen him for several years. And he came here to preach. Dr. Jeremiah was still the pastor here, and I had just come on staff as an assistant, and I was walking down the hall, and Dan Doriani came walking down the other end of the hall, and he saw me, and he looked like he'd seen a ghost. And he said, is that, are you Tommy, Tommy Allen? I said, yeah. So what are you doing here? Because I work here. He said, no way. And he just turned and walked away. I said, okay. And I was assisting worship, so I came out. We came out, and I was sitting in that chair, and he was sitting over there. And I looked over at some point. He was staring at me. And I said, are you okay? And he said, what are you doing here? And I said, I've been working here for a while. And I said, why why did you, where do you think I was? And I promise you, he said, someone told me that you had left your wife and kids and were working on a fishing boat in Alaska. I said, when did you hear that? He said, about a month ago. Oh, that's crazy. Honestly. But someone was willing to say that. Someone was willing either to say it because they thought it would just be interesting news. Someone was interested, willing to say it because they thought it would be damaging. Someone was willing to say it because it made them feel better. Whatever reason, it was a violation of the Ninth Commandment. Trust me. We're going to look at the Ninth Commandment this morning. We're going to look at three things. And we're going to look at, this is going to be a big morning, because we're first going to look at the idea of false witness. And then we're going, to, we're going to have to talk about Bigfoot. When you talk about truth, you've got to talk about Bigfoot. So we're going to talk about Bigfoot this morning, and finally we're going to talk about why. And the question why is the question, why do we lie? Every person in this room lies from one, time, at one point or another, either in a, in, whether it's malicious, outright lies, or just sort of spinning the truth to make yourself look better, or hiding something. Everyone does it. The question is why? My hope is that if you answer that question, it helps you actually understand Jesus better, which helps you actually understand your, your faith better. So let's look first at this idea of false witness. <clears throat> so you notice the command says, you, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So the, the, probably the immediate context, what first comes to people's mind is this bearing witness in the court of law. And in the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy, they both say you should not bear false witness, but the book of Exodus uses a a word for false that is different than the book of Deuteronomy. Both of them are important. In the book of Exodus, it basically says you shall not bear lying or deceitful or malicious witness. So that's one hand. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says you shall not bear frivolous or worthless witness. In other words... One, the, both of the witnesses, they have to do with justice. In the ancient Near East, they didn't have CSI. Okay? I mean, if you think about it, if, if you're a modern person and you've ever watched television, every single drama is either, if it's not a sitcom, it's some kind of crime drama. 
And if it's and not only is it some kind of crime drama, but I've just I've sort of lost track of how many CSI so were crime scene investigation. Right, started with Las Vegas, then you had CSI Las Vegas, and then CSI Los Angeles, CSI Miami, CSI New Orleans. I don't know where else they, if they have more than that, but they're all over. And with CSI, you don't need witnesses, right? You just need DNA. Or you need a fiber from here or there, or you need some dust, or you need some gunshot residue, you need something. But you don't need someone to come in and say, yes, I saw him do that. In the ancient Near East, they didn't have any of that. So if there was going to be justice, there had to be witnesses. There had to be someone who could bear witness to the fact there's a man dead on the floor. Did anyone see who killed him? And someone would say, yes, Joe killed him. Now, justice relied upon whether this person was telling the truth about whether or not Joe killed him. Now, the difference is between the Exodus, the way Exodus puts it, and the way Deuteronomy puts it, is in the Exodus case, you would lie and say, yes, Joe killed him, because you wanted something bad to happen to Joe. You wanted Joe to be killed, and so you would lie, you would bear false witness. And as a result of your false witness, Joe would be stoned to death. That's pretty bad. On the other hand, the way the Deuteronomy puts it, you would say, if they said, Tommy, did you see Joe do it? And I would say, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was him. If I had to guess, I'd say it was him. Well, was it or not? Yeah, okay. I mean, in other words, you're not, you're not really being malicious, but you're not being careful either. Remember when we talked about murder, that the, there was the, the word for murder has to do with both premeditated murder and manslaughter. In other words, you're guilty if you go out of your way to kill somebody, but you're also guilty if you by way of your foolishness or, or lack of care, someone dies as well. It's the same way with your words. The, 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 fault, the, the command to bear false witness has everything to do with intent, and it has everything to do with carefulness. You see, the, what, notice what the command doesn't say. The command doesn't say, you shall not lie. If the command said, you shall not lie, it would be incredibly confusing. Do you know why? Because there are lots of times we actually lie to bless people. Right? Have you ever thrown a, a surprise party for your spouse? Right? Did you not tell them a lie? Right? You know, honey, what should I be? Well, you know, meet me at, you know, the, 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 the is tonight. What are we going to do? Oh, we're just going to have a quiet dinner with them. And you show up and there's like a hundred of your friends and it's a great blessing to you. Well, be, that, that was not, that, that was a lie, but it was said with the intention to bless you. And so therefore it really isn't a sin. Most jokes are reliant on some kind of, of, of mis, misdirection. Magic is based on misdirection. Jesus told parables that were not literally true. So he is not guilty of lying. What lying has to do is with basically your intent. Do you intend to harm or do you intend to deceive? Do you intend to, to profit from something that you said that was untrue? That you bear false witness. The other thing that this command doesn't do is it doesn't say you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor in the court of law. It just says you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. If it said you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor in the court of law, I'm guessing most people in this room would be completely innocent. In other words, most of us, I'm guessing, have not had to go to court and sit on the stand as a witness and say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth I do, and you say I do. And most of us never have to do that. And since we never have to do it, if that's what the command said, we'd be good to go, but it doesn't. You see, because the command actually is bigger than, than our witness against our neighbor in the court of law, it's also about our witness against our neighbor in the court of public opinion. 
In, in other words, this command is concerned with everything that you say about your neighbor. Everything. That, that, every, that there's a sense in which everywhere that you speak, there's a court of opinion going on. And the question is, are you bearing true witness about your neighbor or false witness about your neighbor? And that's where Bigfoot is going to be able to help us, but just in, in just a minute. <clears throat> when you think about the court of public opinion, um, basically the, the man who wrote the, the Heidelberg Catechism, or at least he was the primary author of the Heidelberg Catechism, broke down this question of, as we've seen before, sort of with the, par- with the principle of coins, there's a positive outworking to bearing false witness and a negative uh, thing to out- bearing false witness. Well, the positive outworking of bearing false witness, it, he would say, Zacharias or Arsenius would say is candor, his word. And I'll, I'll read you how he defines it. Basically, when we exercise candor in accordance with this commandment, we put the best construction upon such things that are doubtful so that we do not entertain suspicions or intake them, although there might be sufficient cause for doing so. We should never base actions upon suspicions. We should hope for the good and give our neighbor the benefit of the doubt. In other words, so when you think about false witness and you think about, well, it has to do with what I say about my neighbor... The question is, are you giving your neighbor the benefit of the doubt even if you disagree with him or her? In other words, even if you think that your neighbor isn't right about something, are you giving him or her the benefit of the doubt that they are not actually evil and out to do you harm? That they're not evil and, out, and, and doing something wrong? That you're tr- constantly trying to put the best spin on whatever it is about them or what they're doing? That's the positive outwork. It's candor. So when you meet with someone you don't agree with, are you meeting with them listening to learn or are you listening to defend are you listening to attack are you waiting for every single thing that they say so you can say ah that proves i was right or are you trying to find where you might be wrong you see because the opposite of candor is this cool sort of old school word calumny and what is calumny calumny is literally just the opposite i'll read it to you calumny is not only to incriminate and find fault with the innocent where there's no reason for it but it is to put the very worst construction upon things spoken indifferently or to propagate and coin that which is false. And it, he goes on, suspiciousness is to understand things spoken correctly or ambiguously in the worst light and to suspect evil things from those who are not caught guilty of a crime or to entertain suspicions where there is no just cause for doing and where there are even reasons for so doing to indulge them to a great extent. In other words, if, if candor says you're constantly looking for the best in people, you're trying, constantly trying to assume the best, Calumny says you're constantly trying to assume the worst in people. That you're constantly, not only are you assuming the worst in people, but you're actually looking for the worst in people. And in fact, you're taking anything you possibly can to make the case for the worst in people. And so, you know, let's say you, you heard some, some gossip. We'll talk about that in a minute. That, that you know, the, the pastor is a kleptomaniac. He steals things. And you don't have any basis on which to hear that, but you see him pick up a pen in the church and he, packs it, he puts it in his pocket and walks away and you go, mm-hmm, right there. I bet you he's stealing that pen. He can't help himself. But, you know, it's just, it, you're looking for things to find wrong with people. And you're taking things out of context in order to find things wrong with people. So if you have a conversation with somebody and they speak 10 sentences, all of which you agree with, and one of the sentences is not something you might agree with or, or is even questionable. You pull that one sentence out and the whole conversation is defined by that, that sentence. The whole thing. Now, how does that, how do, what gives wings to calumny? And what gives wings to candor, frankly? 
I mean, when you get out of the, the when you, once you get past the commandment, you shall not bear false witness, the overwhelming way that the rest of the biblical writers interpret you shall not bear false witness is basically by way of lying, by way of slander, and by way of gossip. So when you read the, the New Testament, when Paul talks about this command, he talks about it in the context of slander and gossip primarily and lying. Lying is so bad in the New Testament, it is basically the last thing that Jesus says to the church. Let me read to you. Revelation. In Revelation 22, at the very end, Jesus says this. He says, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they might have a right to the tree of life and that they might enter the city gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood or lying. Right? So the the the... What is it, what, how does it generally work itself out in the context of church, in the context of your, your office maybe? The way that the, the ninth commandment is most typically violated is in the context of slander and in the context of gossip. Right? What is slander? Right? Slander is basically saying something either untrue or true about someone to other people in order to harm them. Simple as that. Remember, it all goes back to intent. So slander is when you're talking to other people, you're trying to make your case about someone else. Remember, the court of public opinion, the problem is, is the person can't stand up for themselves. In the court of law, you get to face your accuser. In the court of public opinion, you don't know what's being said about you. So slander is when someone is saying negative things about you that you can't control. You haven't authorized them to say that. And slander, of course, immediately sort of dovetails into gossip. And what is gossip? Gossip might be malicious. Gossip might not be malicious at all, but it might be not careful. And so whether you say something that is untrue with intent to harm or not being careful, or you say something that is true with the intent to harm and not being careful that harms another person, you are actually uh, violating this command and guilty of gossip. Now, the, here's the, the beautiful thing about gossip, right? Gossip is, is, is a very efficient sin because it's sort of a two-for-one sin. You see, because gossip involves both the sin of speaking and the sin of silence. In other words, it, it, takes, it only takes one person to slander. You could stand on a pulpit and slander somebody, but it takes two people at least to gossip. It takes one person to listen to the, to the gossip. It takes another person to, or one person to speak it and one person to listen. And if you listen to gossip without stopping it or addressing it, you are just as guilty as the person who is spreading the gossip. It's how a virus spread. You know, remember when you were kids, I'm sure if you're at least my age, when I was growing up, my mom used to say this all the time. Tommy, if you can't say something nice about somebody, what? Don't say anything at all. You know what a gossip says? The gossip says, if you can't say anything nice about somebody, come here, sit right here and talk to me. Right? <laughs> You see, there's a sense in which if you read Proverbs, the Proverbs talks about how we love gossip. We like to sort of, you know, gobble it down like morsels of food. And if you just look at the internet, everything. You, if you want a definition of gossip, look at about 99% of the posts on Facebook. In other words, if you're posting something that you're not absolutely true of the facts, you're probably guilty of violating the, the, this command. And most of the stuff that I see, that's why personally my thing, the only thing I post on Facebook are pictures of my family or jokes. Can't get in trouble that way. Avoid all the rest of the stuff. So how do you address uh, gossip? How do you, you know, you know, are you just supposed to just put your hand up and say, I don't want to talk to that? Well, yeah, that's one way to deal with it. 
One way also is to, to sort of apply the Bigfoot test. That's how you even identify gossip. What's the Bigfoot test? This was my favorite thing to do when I worked at Eli Lilly. I was a drug rep. I worked selling medicine for schizophrenia. And it was, it was the best-selling schizophrenia medicine in the world. It was the third highest-selling drug in the world. Whenever you're at the top, people are attacking you. And so I would often have meetings um, with uh, doctors. And my favorite thing to do was get a bunch of doctors together. And I would ask them this question. All right. I'm going to ask you a serious question here. How many of you believe in Bigfoot? I'd look around the room and no one. I mean, there would always be one guy who'd be like, yeah. he didn't want to be publicly identify because they're all doctors. And I'd say, why don't you believe in Bigfoot? And I would go around the room. And what do you think they'd say? They'd say, I haven't seen it. 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 And I'd say, you, so you don't believe in Bigfoot. You're telling me because you haven't seen it. I said, what about other people? They said, we don't care about other people. And I said, you're, so you're telling me that a thousand years ago, Native Americans up and down the West Coast were drawing pictures of skookum on rocks. And you don't believe them. Nope, not unless I see it. Leif Erikson, the Viking, when he came over, he recorded in his journals stories of big hairy men. And you don't believe Leif Erikson? Nope, I wouldn't believe that unless I see it for myself. And I would say, well, let me ask you this question. How come then... When someone writes one bad case report about my drug, you'll believe it, and you won't use it anymore. You know what they, how they responded to that? Crickets. Because there is no response to that. In other words, if your standard is, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it, then you have to have the standard of, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it everywhere. And so with regard to gossip, ask yourself this the next time. When someone spreads something to you, they say something about your boss, or they say something about some leader that you're following, ask yourself, have I personally ever seen that? And if I haven't personally ever seen that, I need to exercise candor and hope for the best. And if I haven't personally ever seen that, I need to basically say that to the person and encourage the person to talk to the person or encourage the person to just stop because it literally is not helpful. Most churches that I know that sort of blow up and are disintegrated are disintegrated not because of decisions of leadership, but they're disintegrated on the way that people respond to them. In other words, are you going to respond in a, in a, in a communicating godly manner or do you respond by sort of just trying to work it out in the court of public opinion? You always lose when you work things out in the court of public opinion. Always. I mean, you might win in the short run, but you lose in the long run. So the question is, why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we actually lie? Why would we actually try and, and try things in the court of public opinion or tell misleading things in order to get our way? And the answer, on one hand, is pretty simple. The answer on one hand, whether you're a Christian or not, by the way, if you ask people why they lie, most people go, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The, here's the reason you, why you lie. The reason you lie is because you are afraid that there's no one there to cover your back. In, in other words, if you tell the truth about any given thing, that the consequences will be big enough that you can't bear them, and so it's easier, you think, to tell a lie than to tell the truth. Another way to put that is just the reason that we lie it's because we really don't believe the truth. We don't believe the truth about ourselves. We don't believe the truth about Jesus. And we don't believe the truth about the gospel. What's the truth about ourselves? You know, if you've ever seen me do a wedding, typically when you get to the part of the vows, I love telling, saying to the couple, now don't forget this before you take your vows. Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah 17.9 says, the heart is desperately wicked and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Isn't that cool to enter into your marriage knowing? It sort of is. 
Because if you really understand that, you can be a lot more gracious because you're not marrying Jesus. You're marrying the person who's desperately wicked and beyond cure. And you're able to be gracious. But also, if you understand that I'm that way, you might actually be wrong sometimes. You see, one of the things, you, you, had, you, had, uh, con- you had candor, you had, uh, what was the th- second one? Calumny. <laughs> and the third one that Arsenius talked about was constancy was once you learn the truth, you stick up for the truth, but also you, it, it informs you that the truth, you actually act upon the truth. So that if you know that you have a proclivity to be a sinful and wicked, should that not, in fact, make you humble around other people? Does me. I mean, all the time I ask myself, am I wrong about this? I could be wrong. You know, or there's the, the Tim Keller test. I love Tim Keller. He has this idiot test that he gives people. Or he says, says to them basically this. He says, you know, five years from now, you're going to look back on your present self and say, man, I was really an idiot back then. Have you ever done that? Man, I was really an idiot back then. Now, what that means is if, you're, if five years from now, you're going to look back on yourself and say, I was an idiot then, what that means is you're really an idiot now. In, in other words, unless you are Jesus and you're not perfect, there's always a chance you might be wrong and need to give people the benefit of the doubt. And so that's one thing. So the, the, if you don't understand the truth about yourself, you're going to be self-righteous. You're going to feel like a martyr. You're going to feel like, I have to take a stand. I'm going to be obstinate. I don't care what evidence comes before me. I'm right, and it doesn't matter. What the, the truth about yourself is, is that you might be self-deceived. And ask yourself this question. If you were self-deceived, would you know it? Would you? How could you? If you, if you were self-deceived, you couldn't know it because you're deceived. So what that means is the truth about ourselves should lead us to some amount of humility. And then you see, if you don't believe the truth about your, yourself, you can become uh, self-righteous and overbearing. If you don't believe the truth about Jesus, what's the truth about Jesus? The truth about Jesus is that Jesus not only obeyed the ninth commandment completely and utterly he not only did did not bear false witness and he not only did function with candor but jesus himself when asked jesus said i am the truth every other religious teacher in the world points to the truth you say show me the truth and they point jesus you go to him and say show me the truth and remember what he says i am the truth if you want to understand the truth of god's word i am the truth right here. And the truth about Jesus is that he came and he was crucified because of false witness. Both the religious and secular courts bore false witness against Jesus, who not only didn't do anything wrong, but only ever told the truth. And because of their lying, because of their false witness, he was crucified. And you see, that leads us to the truth of the gospel. You see, the, the truth about ourselves is that you were desperately wicked and beyond cure. The truth about Jesus is that, he, is that he was utterly righteous and killed while innocent. But the truth of the gospel is this, is that through his death, through the crucifixion of the truth and the true one and the incarnation of truth, all of us liars will be forgiven. And not only will all of us liars be forgiven, but all of us liars are actually made to be, we're now in union with the truth. And not only are we in union with the truth, but because he has embraced us and he will never kick us out, because he has adopted us as part of his household, we can actually now tell the truth. In other words, what the gospel says is that Jesus has taken away your sin. It will never kick you out of the house. And so therefore, when you are asked a question about which the truth scares you, you don't have to be afraid anymore. In other words, you can tell the truth because anything that happens, you realize that there is someone who has your back. 
that Jesus is never going to fail you or forsake you. If you're not a Christian, you don't have that person. Yet, Jesus offers it to you. Let me have your back. Because if you understand the gospel, there's nothing anyone can say about you that, that, hasn't, that, that isn't at least as bad as what you actually are. So let me finish with this. You know, I went to uh, this communication course last year. And I think I've told you about, you know, they, they spend one whole week coming up with your shtick and your purpose. And your shtick is those sort of the, the negative ways that you respond to threat. It's basically you know, how bad you are. And on the first day, the, what they tell us you're going to do this. You're going to break down into groups of three or four and do it with your groups. But we need someone to volunteer to do it for the whole group. In other words, who wants to sit in the middle of the group of 18 people and let all 18 people talk about how miserable and wretched you are to work with and all of the bad things that they've noticed about you and all the bad things that they've read about you and all the bad things that they've heard about you so that you can identify the way you work when you're, not, when you're in your stick. And I remember it was sort of crickety. And then it hit me. If the gospel's true, I got nothing to hide. I raised my hand and everyone went, Mm-hmm. And I sat there, and you know what? It was brutal. It was one of the most brutal times of my life, honestly. Because you can't say anything either, because if you say anything, it just verifies what they're saying. That you can't take criticism. And so you just take it and take it and take it and take it. And it was funny, because after they asked me how you feel, and you know what I said to them? Liberated. I feel liberated. And people were hugging me. You sure you're okay? I said, well, I'm, I'm right as the mail. I'm good. I actually feel good. Because you see, once all that's out and once it's gone, who can hold it against you? And the good news of the gospel is Jesus has taken it all from you and no one can ever hold it against you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if there's no condemnation, the truth shouldn't scare you anymore. Think about that. Let me pray. Father, I just pray that we would become more and more truthful uh, I pray that we wouldn't grieve you with, with gossip or false witness or any of those things, but in fact, we would, we, would, we would bless people with our words and we would bless people with the good news of the gospel, that we would bear true witness of the one who is the truth, that is Jesus himself. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen.